This is the Aftermarket Radio Network. Welcome, everyone, to yet another episode of Diagnosing the Aftermarket A to Z. I'm Matt Fonslow, and today I get to welcome back one of my favorite guests and a good friend. And honestly, like, you know, the president of Aftermarket Radio Network. Oh, wait a minute. I listen to every one of your shows. Trust me, I do. And you always introduce every guest of yours as one of your best friends and so critical and important to your life. I might be needy. <laughs> They're critical and important to me. So good. I'm glad to hear it. That's no lie. But yeah, I've asked Carm to watch a show called The Bear on Hulu because really in uh, the second season, it started resonating with me and I started pleading with him and Tracy to start watching it because I thought it would be very interesting for an episode. And so it's manifested itself right now. And one of the things Matt did not tell me was the main lead character's name is Carm. So it's really only fitting that you're on here. Let's start right up front. When I was a kid, because my dad was Carmelo, they named me Carmen. They called me Carmi. And I grew my whole life up hating Carmi. And now all of a sudden, I like it because of this series called The Bear. I love it. Anyway, that's a funny side note. Before we get rolling too far, let me quick thank our sponsor, Napa Auto Tech Training. Are you tired of searching for trained technicians? If so, let Napa Auto Tech help you build a tech program. These three-day courses cover one of four individual topics, brakes, electrical, steering and suspension, or HVAC through a combination of classroom lecture, hands-on, and utilizing training mock-ups. Visit NapaAutoTech.com. So I pleaded with you to watch it. You took my advice. Was it good advice or not? Yeah, it was. I couldn't stop. It was an Italian family. I mean, I could just so relate to what was going on. I mean, I would have to say that, you know, I did re relive some of the tension that goes on inside of, you know, a family in business together because that's what we did. We were, we were in business 70 years, entrepreneurial Italian family before we sold the business. And I related a lot to it. For those listening, I'll just try a really quick synopsis. The main story is about a brother, Carmi, who has left a restaurant in Chicago a small sandwich shop called The Beef. That's the name of the restaurant because his older brother committed suicide. So he's left with this restaurant. It turns out Carmi is a Michelin star chef. So he's an excellent, excellent chef. And he comes to the restaurant and he's trying to bring some of that Michelin star type of brigade thought process to this restaurant. And he's getting rejected by the employees that work there. They come off more as... The brother, which if I remember right, the name of the brother was Mike, who committed suicide. More of his friends than actual key cogs to the machine of the restaurant. And we kind of work through just trials and tribulations, not only with the restaurant, but also learning about these characters. And that's the best part of this whole show is the character development is, I mean, it's absolutely the opposite of the TV show Succession, which there isn't one person in that sh show Succession you could care about <laughs> the bear you end up caring about everybody you just get to see this character evolution and the restaurant turning from basically a sandwich shop to what they're trying to turn it into a very fine dining restaurant and also I'll just throw in there the show 
to me reminds me a little bit about Ghostbusters, like Ghostbusters, not so much comedically, but Ghostbusters is a real kind of a tribute almost to New York. The bear is a tribute to Chicago. Uh, So I thought that was pretty cool. When Matt told me to watch this show, sometimes you don't know where Matt's angle is. So I told him this morning, I took five pages of notes. Who watches a TV show and does a thesis on it, right? Because Matt didn't tell me any reason to watch it. Didn't give me any juice on it. And I saw the parallel of small hobbyist shop to premier top of the line, top tier shop, or at least the dream of the goal of getting there and all the hurdles in between. Watch this series. They renewed season three. It will come out. They claim summer 2024. I think you'll become hooked on seeing the parallels of the challenges that it takes to run a great, great, great business. Yeah. And just a quick warning. If you have small kids, the language is strong, very blue, bad, 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 blue, dark blue. I couldn't agree more. It's borderline must see. It is. So I'm watching this thing. I'm writing down the words conflict, earn respect, ego, family issues, but everybody has a story. No one knows what that story is. Everybody just comes in, tasks every day, goes home. Yeah, there's superficial love and caring, but it isn't deep. And I don't think this restaurant could have gotten where it got if you didn't see the evolution of that. Yeah, exactly. And I think like if I had a word to throw in that, because I I like all of your words, purpose. Yeah. Purpose turns out to be an extremely important, I don't know what topic, but at least angle or subject of the show, especially season two. You're going to hear me reference season two a lot because that's where my eyes really got focused in. My hair prickled up, the hair on the back of my neck stood up, just like, this is great. This is so great. So I get done with season one. I write to Matt. He goes, hold on, Carm. (laughs) Hold on. Season two is coming. (laughs) And uh, the family dinner, I couldn't handle it, actually. I I almost had to get up and pause for a moment. It was episode six of season two. I mean, they won a lot of Emmys on this show already. Yeah, deservedly so. The acting talent they have. I mean, Jamie Lee Curtis. Wow. And the episode he's talking about, the family dinner, it's basically showing you the history of trauma, childhood and family trauma that these characters are um, subjected to. And many of them are involved in the restaurant in some capacity. And all that baggage is there. A hundred percent there. It's a lot of subtle stuff too about how they're trying to deal with it by not dealing with it. There's a main character, Richie. He turns out to be my favorite character. He avoids a lot of this dealing with this damage, if you will, by being loud and obnoxious and just distancing himself from everything, insulating himself. And further on in season two, we get to see him start having to deal with that. I mean, it's just wonderful. It's a wonderful evolution of a character. So if you've seen the series, you are really in lockstep with us. And if you haven't, hopefully we've encouraged you to go out and do that. Every time I saw Richie, I was moving and cringing. Every time he came on, I knew there was going to be something I wasn't going to be happy about. Why? Is because I could relate to almost where Carmi was in starting my own business and all the family stuff that was going on and some conflicts that happen and go on and the praise you do or get and you don't get. 
And then there's always this one individual who came on and made you want to leave early or not come in the next day. Yeah, he's the um, was essentially the right hand man to Mike. Again, the brother who uh, committed suicide. He was his right hand man. So Richie knew everything in his eyes better than anyone else. Far better than Carmi, who is now taking things over, could possibly understand. You know, he knew what worked with their customers, but they weren't making money. They're barely staying afloat, if at all. They're living on a lot of money borrowed from another character, uh, an uncle played by Oliver Platt. He played a great role. Oh, dude, I love that guy from way back when Flatliners and just terrific. I love the uncle character. He was tough, but he was friendly. Without him, they wouldn't have made it. Yeah, they don't imply where he gets his money. It's maybe subtly hinted, maybe some mob or mafia type of stuff. But they don't really delve into that. Maybe they'll do that in season three. I don't know. I don't know that they even have to. You know, they could hint at it. You know, Matt, I saw, you know, the urgency of production, you know, forgiving mistakes happen. And then the recovery of all of that. Uh, Richie, of course, holding everybody back. But Carm having to prove himself. Owner of the shop having to prove himself, but doesn't know how to build a team, is so focused on what he knows he does well, and that would be a diagnostician, but now he's got to be an owner. So Carmi's the great Michelin-level tech, but he has to learn to be an owner. So he kind of reaches out for some help, which is not a sign of weakness in our world, where we might hire a number one or a number two or a manager of a place, come in, bail me out, I need to do other things. And that evolution is what was so remarkable to me. I've done 1,200 podcasts. I mean, think of the people you know and all the evolutions that I, I mean, I've interviewed some people that were down and out eight years ago. And today they're one of the top tier people in the industry only because they made their personal commitment. Yeah. And I like that because to me, Carmi's bringing in things that work. Not They don't have to work just in a fine dining restaurant. They just work. Attention to detail, you know, processes. These work. Not to jump around, but I think this is a key point. He brought in chef. Yes, chef. And he said it to everybody. And when they asked him, like, why? He's like, it's, it's a sign of respect. And that hit a couple of the characters very, very hard in a good way. Like, it boosted their confidence. It boosted their... I suppose respect for him, but also open them up to suggestion, I think led to the inspiration for a couple of the characters that became very inspired, not just because he started calling him chef. It was the first step. I'm showing you this respect. Yes, chef. Thank you, chef. Matt, I love to learn new things. I love to go on factory tours. Just get me behind the scenes of a doctor's office. Tell me how it works. This show, The Bear, brought me inside of an industry I thought I knew a little bit about, but I didn't know anything. And to see the disciplines that Carmi brought in when they started to use the word chef, I was sitting there, I was stiff, I was blown away. I made so many of my biggest notes around the respect for the position and the mutual respect for each other. I would have never thought in a million years, one hour before opening, the main person in charge of that either restaurant or that shift would say, we're opening in one hour. Everybody yells, yes, chef. Everybody who's at their station replies. It's kind of like you just basically torque 
you know, some lugs on a vehicle and you want to make sure that they're done right, well, then you just yell out to a peer who's next to you to come back and check you. Check or whatever the words are that people would use and they would reply back so the individual who's asking for the second look gets it and knows it's being done. And then when Richie ends up visiting the top, 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 top restaurant in Chicago and all those disciplines that came from how they focused on prep, process, disciplines, and customer, with customer being on top, customer was the number one, and how they controlled who was getting bread, who was getting lettuce, who was getting steak, and, and, and who was being taken care of, they would pass notes to each other. So each other knew everything that was going on around them. I'm sitting there saying the simplest of tasks. Think of automotive repair shops, please, as we're speaking all of this stuff. And I was sitting there saying, wow, there it is. Just watch Bear and run a better shop. (laughs) For 98 years, the Napa name has meant quality parts and service. It also reflects top quality training programs to help you build a more successful vehicle repair business. No doubt, the technician shortage is impacting everyone, but you're not facing this battle alone. Napa has the solution by making Napa AutoTech training available near you. Napa AutoTech provides automotive aftermarket technicians career development opportunities through structured, disciplined, measured, and high-quality technical instruction, no matter the technician or service advisor skill level. This instruction enhances understanding of vehicle systems, increases first-time repair capability, and overall customer satisfaction. It also prepares technicians to become ASE certified. It's a fact technicians who receive training to improve their knowledge and skills have a higher sense of job satisfaction. This reduces technician turnover and increases productivity, directly improving a shop's profitability. It is vital to the success of a shop's business that today's technicians are equipped to diagnose and repair today's complex vehicles. With our ever-changing technology, the technician's knowledge and skills need to be updated and refreshed on a regular basis. As you labor over the decision of whether to send your techs to get their skills sharpened, keep in mind, Napa AutoTech training is an investment, not an expense, and it's available to all. Much of Napa AutoTech's training is offered in more than one format to accommodate varieties of learning styles and training preferences so each person can maximize their learning. Whether you're more of a hands-on person or enjoy learning at your own pace, Napa AutoTech is here to provide you with the training you need in the format that works best for you. To learn more about what Napa AutoTech offers, contact NapaAutoTech.com. Episode 7 in Season 2, the one you're talking about, from there to the end, I could rewatch that over and over and over. I love the evolution of Richie, who kind of has a bad attitude, thinks he knows better than everybody else. And so Carmi sends him to what is at least told to us is the best restaurant in Chicago and one of the best in the nation. And when he gets there and they give him a kind of a chef jacket, his first task is to clean forks. They just have him polishing forks. They even refer to him as forks. And he is not happy about this. He's very upset. He's supposed to spend about a week there. And they're explaining like, no, usually new people start out on forks until they get it right. And then they can move on to spoons. (laughs) but it's these tasks are extremely important to me when i saw that it immediately made me think of something in like japanese culture is known as kaizen which is perfection or or constant improvement and you know if you remember back you know i know we're going into all kinds of movies but if you remember the last samurai with tom cruise 
where he's at the village and he's walking around and you find he's watching these warriors and their families and whatever perfecting everything from the perfect serving of tea, the perfect bow shot with a bow and arrow. Of course, there's sword techniques and fighting skills, but it's everything. It's not limited to just, you know, fisticuffs and fighting and sword play, everything. And they dedicate themselves, focus 100%. And that's what I was kind of thinking with the forks was you need to put yourself into this and buy into this. And that's what eventually happens. It takes a good talking to you by, I think his name is actually Garrett of all things. Tracy's fiance is named Garrett. So evidently the Capriotos are heavily invested in this show somehow. <laughs> and I'm not sure what's going on. But the major D, Garrett, kind of drags Richie outside and kind of lights him up about what it takes to make this restaurant work. How many people, how many cogs in the wheel, how important it is that, you know, these people wait months to get into this restaurant. Well, at our shop, people wait weeks to get into our shop. And I don't know that that affects us the way it should. It affects me differently now since watching this show and thinking about it, but it doesn't affect everyone else yet until I hopefully get them to watch the show or at least buy into what I'm saying. Like that should mean something that should resonate deep. Like these people are willing to wait weeks, days, a month to bring their car here. What can I do to best guarantee the most positive service experience they can get? And I'm thinking to myself, after watching this show, fixing the car right the first time isn't enough anymore. Getting the job done on time or when you say you're going to have it done and for the price quoted, it isn't good enough anymore. We have to go big. We have to dare not to exceed all those expectations. I so get that. I was so impressed with this restaurant claiming they have 5,000 person backlog on who wanted to get a reservation. And so if someone at six o'clock at night canceled their nine o'clock at night reservation, they would go onto their list and they would call the individual and says, we have an opening for nine. Are you interested? Oh, I don't have a ride. I can't get there. We'll send a car. I mean, I was just, again, another parallel to our world. If you have something to fill and awaiting customer for two days or a week from now or someone that you couldn't accommodate and they were on the fence, do whatever you can. To stick with the Richie storyline, he graduates from Forks. He's on an accelerated program, right? He's only going to be there a week, but it's implied he spent a couple days on Forks to finally get it right. And then they give him a suit. It's a black suit and tie. And he makes a comment that, I mean, you could tell he starts feeling good about himself. He says it feels like armor. And I thought that was a really neat line to say. It was a uniform. And that resonated with me too, because <laughs> I'm sorry. I know I jump around a lot from like show to show to show, but there's shows where like Bar Rescue or Hell's Kitchen or Kitchen Nightmares, or I think The Prophet even, where you have an employee that is busting their tail. They're trying so hard. So the one that hit me the most was Bar Rescue. There's an episode where the chef, when you're first introduced to him, is just, he half-asses everything. You know, he's liable to drop something on the floor, pick it up, wipe it off, throw it in the fryer. And after he gets some training, and kudos to this cook, he takes to the training. He wants to learn. He becomes inspired. At the end of the episode where Taffer's kind of congratulating everybody, he points to the cook or the chef and says, I have something for you. 
and he reaches back or goes back and comes back with a chef jacket. And that chef about went to tears because it's this show of respect, but it's also recognition. Like I recognize the transformation. I recognize the effort you put in and how much better you've become. And you deserve this. How do we give our uniforms that type of meaning? That was my next question. How do we do this? Wow. Is it the ASE patch? Is it the logo? Is it a certain stripe on the shirt that you have created your own personal levels inside of your own company to recognize your people and to then to speak at your counter about these top tier technicians that you have? It goes back to one of the John DeJulius's thing. Your haircut's in pretty bad shape. I mean, we got to do a lot of work here. We got to give you to a, a level 10 stylist. Yep. Yep. <laughs> it's perfect. And It doesn't mean, well, this isn't going to work in our industry. It's so big. It's so diverse. It's so independent. So what do it in your own place? Because that brings such differentiation, such the ability to charge $225 an hour for service, such ability to be able to buy the right tools, retain the right people, hire the right people, create the right image, keep it as clean as a kitchen, five-star Michelin kitchen should be. Oh my God, I found a million parallels. (laughs) I did. And I'm going to ride this Richie thing to the bitter end because it just so hits me. This isn't a spoiler alert because there's a lot more going on. But Richie, in my mind, Matt, is the technician with an attitude. Yeah, technician or service advisor or a soon-to-be manager or somebody you would like to promote to manager. So now he's working the floor and also kind of with the expediter. So they have a dedicated expediter in the kitchen who kind of calls out the orders and keeps things moving, keeps the chefs and the chef brigade, if you will, informed. Would that be like a dispatcher? Yeah, I think a dispatcher, shop foreman, maybe, depending on how the shop is structured. And I agree. And then um, there was something that the, the, uh, you know, their dispatcher, if you will, said to Richie about it. Cause you know, he's kind of asking her why, why she does this, why she works so hard at it, why it's so important. And she said something like every every day or every night, because they're open at night, could be somebody's best night ever because of the restaurant, because of what they do and what they work so hard to do. And so alluding back to what Carm mentioned with passing each other's notes, they have created an environment where everyone is able to and of course wants to, which maybe involves hiring the right people and stuff like that. But There's the environment where everyone is to be present. Everyone is to be walking around with ears open and listening or or watching for any subtle hints of what could make somebody's dining experience better. So the example in the show is a kind of a play on a book that we see Richie reading that there's a table that is talking about their visiting Chicago and they ask him how the food was or how their meal was, or they love it. But then another employee, you know, whether it was a busser, overhears the conversation at the table that they've been to Chicago and they've been to all these wonderful restaurants, had this wonderful food, but unfortunately they're going to be leaving Chicago having not tasted any Chicago pizza. So the notes get handed and they have one of the, and Richie does it in this case, runs as fast as he can to a Chicago pizza place, gets a pizza, books it back, hands it to the head chef. The head chef cuts them into like circles and, you know, uplifts it, right? 
lifts it up, makes it a little more, you know, fine, fine dining. And Richie begs to be the one to give the dish to these people. Now you're feeling there's a transformation in him. It is. It's like the Grinch, right? <laughs> and his heart grows. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's almost to that level. You get to see this transformation. And it was subtle, but then that was like the big boom and the light bulb moment where I get it. I get now what the beef, which is now going to be named the bear because they're renovating it. They're changing it over. It's going from the sandwich shop to a fine dining restaurant. He gets it. He sees what this could be and why. He has his purpose and has changed his entire life. He's fixing things with his ex. I don't know if they're married technically, but his ex whom he has a daughter with and fixing things with his daughter and fixing his attitude at work. When he's going to this new restaurant to kind of shadow, he struggles to wake up with his alarm. He's got to just drag his butt out of bed, drag his butt down to the restaurant. By the end of the week, he's up before the alarm goes off. He's dressed. He's cleaning up his kitchen, his house. And you just see this complete transformation and he's inspired by all these people who embrace what they do. They understand their purpose themselves and of the restaurant and they buy into it. It's beautiful. There's no other word for it. It's beautiful. And it's based off of a book. And if I remember it right, it's called Unreasonable Hospitality. Hospitality, yes, by Will Gudara. And he's walking around the restaurant with the book. Can you imagine seeing a book being carried around or in or out of the, you know, reading at lunchtime by the people in our industry? I mean, we know owners read a lot of books. Top tier people read books. They just do or they listen to them. Can you imagine an individual who wants to get ahead reading one of the books we talk about on the podcast? Oh, my God, man. That was a breakthrough for him. It was huge because it's not only for the clients. The you know unreasonable hospitality goes beyond just clients. It goes to the employees. I think the tagline to the book is the power of uh, giving people more than they expect, something of that nature. So then I'm sitting there thinking like, what does the shop do? What are the little things? How do we create this situation for our employees? And it's probably going to be mainly the service advisors, the customer service reps, maybe if the shop manager is kind of on the front of house side or splits between the two where they can watch and hear and maybe pick on some, pick up on some subtleties, stuff like that. But what could be done? What are little things? We have the standards, right? Maybe give shuttle service. You know, maybe we got some refreshments and stuff like that. But what are the above and beyond stuff, you know, and thinking about it? Listen, the the above and beyonds, there are shops that are doing it. They're vacuuming, they're car washing, they're doing everything. They're putting cold water in the the center console. There's children that come and go. There's seats in the back. Put some stuffed animals in representation of the shop, okay? None of this is new. I hear about it all the time from top-tier shops. That's what they do that creates differentiation, and the customer experience, because people don't come to us to want to have their car fixed. They come to us ultimately for the, the experience and the reliability that we give them, the confidence that we're going to do this thing right. I've heard of some shops, um, very, very few, where maybe you have typically an older client who their car is their really their only way to get things done. And they need to go grocery shopping. So they'll send one of their techs or maybe an employee, maybe not a tech to shuttle this person to the grocery store and go grocery shopping with them. And, you know, that would be great. But understand, for all of this to work, the shop has to be profitable. 
you have to run a profitable operation to be able to afford to do these things that will further, further make you profitable and just endear you in a way that I, it would be very, very hard to compete with. The shop B is going to have a very rough time competing with you when you're doing stuff like this and are able to do stuff like that. Man, I wrote down some uh, keys from top restaurants that I pulled from this. I'm going to read you those bullet points. And as a listener, I want you to just find the parallel in how you could do things almost the same. So top restaurants or top shops, you got to keep the business in orbit. And I heard that and I was just, whoa, I was moved by it. You got to keep the business in orbit. And to your point just a second ago, it's got to be profitable. It's got to be up there, moving, a lot of energy and profitable. You got to respect yourself, respect your clients, respect your staff. There was one thing, there can't be any streaks anywhere on the plates, on the forks, on the, there can't be any streaks. Well, that's about cleanliness in my regard, in every aspect that the customer touches. And in fact, why not for all the employees? Why should they work in that kind of environment too? No smudges, same thing. Integrity, honesty. Those are all these things that the top tier restaurants were talking about. And it was so easy to write them because that's just good old common business sense. Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking like our shop, we were adamant about keeping the waiting area, not just clean, but I don't want people to be able to poke their head in and go, and just know this is a repair shop. Like my favorite thing to hear is like, is this an auto repair shop? You know, we don't have all the banners of, you know, AC or pick your brand all over the place. And then the smell, there's a lot of shops you can poke your head into and you have the exhaust smell, maybe a fuel smell, a diesel smell, exhaust. You just know. So we pressurized our waiting area, the office waiting area. So it's at a higher pressure level than the shop. So it's very, very difficult for those odors and everything to get in there. That made a huge difference. We have fresh air intake that goes through a, you know, either warms it up or cools it off or whatever. And it's a high enough volume that even with doors open, the office remains at a higher pressure level than the rest of the shop. Every single time I see a TV show, I don't care, you, you name it, NCIS, just for example. And they have to go to see a mechanic at a shop who may be a suspect or knows somebody who knows somebody. And you walk in and they're scummy, dirty, blue, crappy, dark. And I'm just sick and tired of that. You name the TV show and they have to go find a mechanic, get their car fixed. Can you do this? They're always deep, dark, and dingy. Think of the top shops in our industry and think of what that would look like if any of these TV shows would walk in one of them and start representing who we truly are. Anyway, I'm off my box now. We're always depicted as dirty and we're depicted usually as idiots unless uh, we have a major brain tumor, then we're geniuses. The movie phenomenon with um, John Travolta, he was an auto mechanic, but he was slow. It was a great movie. A lot of fun. But it's annoying. You're exactly right. Even though the language is as bad as it was, the front of house language cannot be bad in front of the customer. They talked about having standards, that we live by standards. You have to have a servant's attitude. It's not about the car repair. It's about serving the customer, period. Yeah, 100%. Because you're creating a memory. You're trying to create a memory. You know, a lot of times we talk about on my podcast, Matt, and I've heard you say it on yours, just pull your people together and just ask them, what could we do to better serve a, a better experience for our clients? Write them all down. And then in these eventual meetings that you're having, start moving that strategy, that commitment forward. 
I don't think we are doing enough. It's the grind. Remember the grind of the first couple of episodes? You go in, you score the beef, you cook the beef, you slice the beef, you make a hoagie, and the next day you get up and do the same damn thing. I love Carmi's attitude. He's this top chef. He was recognized as one of the top youngest upcoming chefs get all these interesting awards and he comes in and he says, I know how to do this. Why would I want to do that when I could do this? Meaning I hear I'm a technician who wants to start a business. And I went from my backyard at home over to this place I just rented or I bought. And why should you just build a traditional everyday dark and dingy auto repair shop when you could take it to way the next level? Even though Carmi saw and lived in and worked in that, there's so much networking. There's so many people out there that can show you what that next new level is that you should aspire to it very young in your business career. We get to the final episode, the grand opening, and things transpire where who was kind of leading the brigade, who was doing the expediting, the sous chef, Sydney, who is a key, key component to the show and the success. She, We should talk about her, but she needs to get on the line and cook. She can't expedite. And Richie not only is reasonably prepared because of his week at that other restaurant, he wants to. He believes in himself. I can do it. Gets off to a little bit of a shaky start and then he starts killing it. He starts killing it. I adore the stuff like that. You know, it's a little bit of a redemption story. But honestly, if we we're to like just study story making or characters themselves, Richie is the textbook hero's journey. Textbook. But I was very upset at the end of that episode when he and Carmi reverted back to what it was like in episode one. <laughs> well, they got into a bit of a screaming match. <laughs> oh my God. I said, oh God. All right. Can't wait for the next season, I guess, to see where, to see where that goes. No, I'm excited about it. Thank you so much for uh, turning me on to this. I think the parallels to our industry, life itself, the challenges of owning your own business and wanting to be a top tier player is just unique. Please don't look at this as a restaurant. Learn a lot from it. It's fun and it's exciting. But parallel it to your world. Before we turned on the recorder, we were hanging out and I said, you know, Matt, <laughs> I don't know if I should tell this or not, but everybody says chef to each other. It is an honor to work in an environment of professionalism and call each other chef. And when I first saw that, I mean, it happened in the first episode, I'm thinking, wow. I mean, it was just like when people called you a chef, even though you weren't, and then you call the person who was a chef a chef, you ended up being in that fraternity in that club because you were called a chef. You answered with chef how it would help build you, gain confidence. Just can you imagine the first time someone called you a chef and you weren't? So ASE has master level technicians, right? Yes, I think they still do. <laughs> You're probably one, I'm sure. And if I was working in your shop, I could call you master instead of chef. Yeah, it could be even like master tech, I suppose. You got, I think in um, one of the military branches, I want to say it's going to be the Navy. Master sergeant, army, master sergeant, yeah. Yeah, master sergeant or master chief, something like that. I think it's just like you're saying, though, There's, it'd be nice to have a title of sort that is mutual respect. Mutual respect inside the shop. Yep. And it's for everybody. You've gotten there. You've earned it. You're earning it. We care that you're 
part of us, you're with us, even if you're a a C-Tech, an entry level, a loop tech, why shouldn't that person be called and aspire to be, I, I know Matt is, and I'm not necessarily, I can't believe they're calling me this, but wow, feel the professionalism, feel the vibe. It's a challenge to the industry. Work with us on this. I really think there's something there, Matt. I think the psychology of people now is much different than years ago. They're not really about going through the trial. They're not really about going through the jumping through hoops or trial by fires or anything like that. That you know, years ago, that was how you built character. I don't think it works anymore. Nobody would give it enough time to let it work. So designating somebody like a newbie or any derogatory terms, I don't know if it works anymore. I Maybe if you get a special personality, but I, I think like you're saying, if there is a title like chef, that that's a sign of respect for everybody. So I wrote down tech instead of chef tech. I so argue in my mind with the word tech because that means an awful, a chef means a chef. I get that. It's food. But tech could be just about anything. But I also love apprentice, by the way. Anyone who comes in who's an apprentice, are the apprentices ready? Yes, chef. Or yes. <laughs> this may sound a little cold, but the professionalism of the industry of food, you really got to know what you're doing. I mean, there's all these permits. You can't open a restaurant unless you got 30 permits and you're qualified. I don't know, maybe this is a little too far, but I guess my bottom line in my think is this. We're such an incredible industry. We do things that people don't even have a clue. These vehicles run in ways that no one even fathoms how it works. We need to figure out how to get some respect inside and outside. That's my point. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we got to start respecting ourselves. I mean, I think we're seeing more of it now than maybe ever, but it's not enough. I pretty much admit to living in a bubble. I think a couple of my episodes that's been very well broadcast that uh, and shown to me that what I see surrounding me isn't necessarily what's everywhere else, you know, and, and most specifically about like pay plans. Like there's very, very few flat rate shops around me. I just don't see it. I don't remember ever knowing about specifically independent shops paying flat rate, but a couple of my guests, you know, for them, that is the norm. Yeah, we just got to start respecting each other and ourselves first. And I think it just carries over. You know, not to keep promoting episodes or ideas, but that professional wrestling stuff with the putting each other over a little bit and not running each other down so much, that carries over. Like that will keep building everybody up. You know, maybe what you should do is you should go back into, I think, the 90 plus episodes that you've done, Matt, and you should probably pick what you feel ended up becoming really strong storylines and do an episode by featuring, you know, say five of those, just tell the audience why you did it, the feedback that you got and why it still has legs today and why it's the, the, the things you were talking about in the last couple of years are still so incredibly important. I mostly did it because Tracy said, hurry up, I need an episode. Come on, let's go. Yeah, I know. She's like that with me too. Hmm. Yeah. There's another character I like in this show, actually a bunch of them, but Marcus starts out, he bakes the bread for the sandwiches. And when shortly after Carmi's kind of taken over, the bread's dry, not good for sandwiches. So he suggests to Marcus to put a pan of water in the oven with the bread. It'll keep it moist. And Marcus is kind of reluctant to do that. It's like, hey, I've been doing this a while. I don't know why you just got to come in here and start telling me what to do. But he did it and it worked. And so... 
you know, Marcus started respecting Carm's knowledge a little bit more because I don't think they really knew who he was. Then Marcus does a little bit of research, finds out who Carmi is and what he is. And then just being taught a few things sparks this desire to learn more and specifically in pastries, desserts. And when they kind of do the getting ready to open this new fine dining restaurant, Carmi sent Richie, of course, to that restaurant in Chicago, the Michelin star restaurant. There's a couple other chefs that they sent to culinary art school. But Marcus, they send him overseas, I believe, to England to work with Lucas, who I believe is referencing in his scene, Carmi. Lucas is a renowned pastry chef. Marcus gets to work with him, learn from him. And they're just conversing. And he asks him, how did you get to be so good? And he's like, I started out young and I got my skills together. And then I worked in a bunch of different restaurants. And he was sure he was the best chef in those restaurants until he goes to this one place, this one restaurant, and he starts about the same time this other chef does. And it isn't even close. This other chef is so much better. He works so much harder, so much more intense, so much more skilled, so much more knowledgeable that he kind of ends up accepting like I'm not the best. I'm not the best by a long shot. I have so far to go. And then Marcus is kind of like, well, what did you do? And he's like, I decided to try to keep up with him. And just doing that raised his level higher than he ever would have dared imagine he could have got. And now he's a world-renowned pastry chef because he was driven just to try to keep up with this other chef who turns out, I'm pretty sure, is Carmi, right? And Marcus is inspired by all of this, just the work hard, the subtleties, seeing what's possible with pastries and your imagination. They're talking about like the best food they ever had. And Lucas is like, you know what? It wasn't always the most technical. It wasn't always by the most skilled chef. It wasn't by those standards or because of those, it was because it was inspired. Like somebody cared so much or somebody had a new take on something. And that's to him was the best food he's ever had. And Marcus takes all that and he goes back to the, it's going to be the bear, a totally different entity. Like he's just, his skill level is so high, his confidence so high. And I guess I love that. I love watching people grow. I love watching people be inspired. We've had episodes like this. John Thornton was the inspiration to a great many. You know, Eric Siegler is just that classic example of I was out, I was mailing it in every day. I was looking for my way out of this stupid profession. And then this guy comes in and says, go to this class. Let me know what you think. It's John. And he's inspired not just to stay in the profession, but also increase his skill set. Keep learning what he can learn. Learn more. Learn from John. Learn from everything, you know, these other resources. And now Eric's running his own mobile company. He's got employees. He's a for sure, at least nationally recognized trainer. Eric's uh, done a bunch of shows with me, and I'll never forget the one that he did when he talked about himself waking up and he's in his car upside down in a ditch. Yeah, legs broken. Yeah, that's when he stopped drinking. And uh, I mean, and he never fails to tell that story, I believe, when he's out in the industry training because it's a great story of triumph. This restaurant, like so many of our shops, invested 
in Marcus, invested in Tina, and they sent them away to school to be trained, to be with peers so that they could network with people and to learn things they would have never learned anywhere else. Ah, ASTE, Vision, Apex, all of our great incredible training centers parallels this storyline from this uh, TV show. Yeah, 100%. Or, you know, if you can work up a relationship and, you know, not be intrusive, but can you visit some of these shops, you know, just to get a tour and take some of that back? Like, you know, you may be sitting in a classroom and they're talking about SOPs. It's hard to really maybe put that in, you know, go back to your shop and go like, well, okay, I'm going to write all these things and how's that going to work? And you go to a shop that has a bunch of SOPs and they live by them and you get to see the effects of it in real life. And they can tell you the subtleties of things that maybe don't necessarily get covered in classrooms or you just see the layout. Sometimes just seeing the layout. Why did you do this? Why did you put that over there? Oh my God, that makes so much sense. You know, I had no idea that I was going to be watching Bear. I mean, you told me a long time ago, and then you finally said, did you watch Bear? And I said, no. But it was so interesting doing this foodie TV show and learning so much from it that at the end of June, we were recording, oh, about five or six episodes locally here. There was a group of Transformer COOs doing a tour of a local five-store chain. And I sat down with Andrew Marcotte and Melissa Parker, both COOs, for their respective companies. In fact, Andrew's dad, Charlie, uh, has been a guest on our show. And we're talking about all this stuff, and we're talking about this cleanliness of our operations and stuff. And right off the top of my head, Matt, I said the words butcher clean, (laughs) (laughs) not having a clue that we were going to, I was going to be watching this foodie TV show, but butcher clean. And I stopped and I said to myself, where did I come up with that? I don't know, but I know that at the end of the day, that cutting wheel's got to come off and all the stuff inside that slicer, if you will, has to be cleaned and the floors and all the papers and all the, all the trays, that thing has to be swapped top to bottom, left to right. I was, I was trying to make an analogy to the appearance that we have and the cleanliness that we have to have in the face of our customers and our working environment. And here I'm watching this go on with this TV show, The Bear. So by the way, thank you so much for encouraging me to do that. Oh, I'm glad you liked it. I mean, honestly, more than anything, I'm just glad you enjoyed it. And then I'm glad that you shared a lot of the same visions or... I got it. I think it was a test, everyone. Matt (laughs) says, I'm going to let Carm watch this and tell him it was... The guy's name was Carm or Carmi in the show, that it was all about being Italian. (laughs) And I had no idea. So I'm, I'm saying... I always know Matt has some other agenda inside somewhere. I've known you for, what, God, eight years now. So I'm always thinking of you every time I'm watching this thing, and I'm thinking, what would Matt say or do? Well, what's he thinking in this regard? So thank you for that. Anytime, offer me something to watch, but I'll have to take notes. I'll have to take notes. My wife's looking over at me. She goes, what are you writing? <laughs> There's just a lot of parallels. It's hard to ignore. You know, it's a service business. They produce something. You know, they have ingredients. We have parts. You know, you're, you're not going to have this Michelin star restaurant with crap ingredients, you are not going to have a five-star auto repair shop with junk parts, the cheapest parts, the most economical parts. It doesn't work. It's it's a direct translation. You got to have people that are skilled and trained. They have to have the equipment they need to be able to do it quickly and efficiently and safely, right? You know, they hear about sharp knives. A sharp knife is not a dangerous knife. It's the dull knife. 
And we have to have our equipment that allows us to do what we need to do the way we need to do it quickly and efficiently. So I just think you keep going and going. It, the parallels are striking. We have a front of house, a back of house. Same. Chefs look at knives like you guys look at scanners or, yeah. or, or scopes. <laughs> they got to have good lighting. They got to have a certain level of climate control to be able to work at their highest level. And you got to pay your bills so you can get parts. Yeah, absolutely. Remember, they couldn't get food because the former brother wasn't paying his bills. So they have to strike up these weird deals to get, you know, maybe not even all that great of ingredients, whatever they could get. And if you watch enough of those episodes, not saying there isn't some staging going on, but enough episodes of the bar rescues and the profit and kitchen nightmares and anything like it, when they start, you know, spending less and trying to cut corners and all that, that's when the restaurant starts going in its big demise. And you can watch it with repair shops when they try to start doing things the cheapest way possible. Shortcuts. Right. Every little shortcut, you know, save. Cheap and short. Yep. The cheapest part they can get, even if they mark it up the same price as the other one, it ends up biting them anyways, because they have to do it under warranty. And then if they don't warranty it, they may lose a customer and it just spirals. And it's the shops that, you know, are not embarrassed by their prices. They're justified. They're fair because it keeps the shop in business and allows them to do what they need to do by taking care of their employees, taking care of the shop and growing the shop, improving their equipment or environment. It just, you know, do you want it to spiral this way or do you want it to ascend that way? One of the things I talked about butcher clean was having clean books. And I found it so fascinating, you know, back in the eighties and nineties, I mean, I, I spent my life inside of shops and to see the boxes of receipts no profit and loss statements. I saw that in this movie. I saw there were boxes of this and ledgers of handwritten notes and post-its. And you're not going to create a great company unless your books are clean too. And it's all up and it's all legit. You're not going to get where you need to be. You're not going to be a five star. So I just want to throw that in. Thank you. And I suppose we can say a few words about Sydney. She is a very, very young, fairly fresh out of culinary arts school, but she knows about Carmi. She knows who he is. She knows what he is. She wants to work with him. And I think that might be fairly common in the, um, you know, restaurant world or chef world of trying to work under these different chefs, head chefs and learn. I think that's fairly common, especially for the ones that take it very, very seriously. And I don't know if that would translate so well in auto repair if you try to work for different shops, maybe, but I could see how that could backfire too. It'd be a little, little rough. It'd be better just to try to find yourself a really good shop to work for and stay. But she is very skilled. She's very, very opinionated, but she cares about the business. She cares about everyone under the roof. And there's a point where Carmi recognizes this, that she is very good at things that he isn't. And he gains more control of the business by giving control to her. It's a beautiful thing. Yeah, he ends up doing what he's talented at. And you're right. They both together. Again, I can't wait to see the next season because this season two ends with the restaurant just opening. You really don't know where this progression is going to be, how much Carmi is going to be a great leader in Sydney and, and all the characters and what role Richie's going to play. And really, I really look forward to season three because I want to see how it melds and it meshes. 
there's going to be problems. We all have problems. You, you're not going to grow as a leader. You're not going to grow as a company unless you fail forward. So there's going to be conflicts. Maybe they open it up more to the personal side of this thing, or we get a chance to see inside the customer service side of that restaurant. I'd love to see more on that. You brought up conflicts because that's what I was going to say. They do butt heads. They do have arguments, but it doesn't ruin the relationship. You know what I mean? Like so much stuff we watch nowadays is people have a conflict. They disagree. They don't talk to each other ever again. And this is, they butt heads. They get through the day or the night or whatever, the service. And then they kind of come together and exchange honest apologies where they're valid, not just empty ones or just apologizing for the sake of apology. There's like, I've thought about this and I think you're right. Or I could have handled this better. It's just all in around a really good show. If you're you know present, you can take a lot away from it. You could learn recovery because when the conflict happened, it got really deep, really heavy, deep into the pool. But sooner or later, they both came to their senses, whoever was having the conflict and the recovery was not a week or 10 days. The recovery was in minutes. And the other thing with Sydney too is, you know, we were talking about Carmi being an inspiration, inspiring, inspiring, inspiring. Sydney ends up inspiring Tina, showing Tina how to do some things. And at first, maybe not in the most constructive way, but she gets better at it. And she apologizes to her about it a little bit too. Tina was trying to sabotage Sydney. Yes. <laughs> That's how it started. And then, um, she gained a little bit of respect for her. And then they send her off to culinary school. And then Sydney asks Tina if she'll be her, basically her right-hand man. And how much that meant to Tina to go from, you know, whatever she did at making sandwiches to now being a chef on a brigade who's been asked to take a position of importance within that brigade. Not that there's any part in a brigade that's not that important, but she's now in essence the sous chef on that brigade. And it's because of her passion and her willingness to learn and change a little bit and improve and being rewarded with that. Like recognition means so much. I agree. I mean, we've seen transformations inside of our own industry, inside of our own shops. I mean, we may be talking to people that have transformed and they can go back and say, there was an owner who believed in me or a, a lead technician or a shop a foreman who made sure I got to classes or challenged me, gave me work I didn't know how to do, but was with me every step of the way. We've got to believe in our people. But one of the things that's so critical is that when you get that opportunity, don't let it go to waste. Jump in with both feet. If you're asked to do some virtual training, do it. Just don't open the terminal, go watch TV, come back and get credit for the fact that you were there the entire time. Learn, take notes, discuss it relate, do your own personal case studies. This is how chefs have gotten where they are. And that's why I love the parallel of what can we do to raise the talent level and the personal commitment of our people. Yeah. And I think all you can do is give them the opportunity, show them that you're there to support them, give them that, try to inspire them. And the ones that you do, hopefully everyone reaps the benefits for. Some of them won't, right? It's just, they can't, they won't. There's only so much you can do, but it's great, yes, to watch it on TV and a TV show. It's great to watch it. It's even better to see it in real life in your shop to just watch somebody become, whether it's a light bulb moment where it's just that purpose, finding their purpose and buying into that philosophy. You know, that it's not just words on some plaque in your waiting room anymore. 
it means something. The uniform maybe starts meaning something and the processes mean something. And when they embrace that, that, I mean, that's, I don't know if there's anything in business better than seeing that. I'll bet you 90% of everyone in our industry, if they're listening to this for the first time, didn't know about it, go get Bear on Hulu, go watch it. And if you've already seen it and we are just flooring you with this episode, 90% of our industry can relate See someone, see themselves in it, have worked for a shop like this. There's so much relatable material there that I think this will make all of us appreciate where we've come from or make us all better. I agree. I couldn't have summed that up any better. You had the final words without even me asking you for the final words. Oh, great. I'm so happy that I did that for you. That was wonderful. I really, really appreciate you coming on. Loved it. Thank you, man. Anytime. I mean, it's kind of your show, but... You can come on anytime. <laughs> it is not my show. <laughs> I think I did the first one with you, maybe one other one with Hunt, maybe, and I don't know. We did the Godfather one, but Tracy kind of took over the whole episode. I did the Godfather one. Yeah. yeah, she did. She Godfathered us big time, but yeah, that was a fun show. Yeah, I hope we can do this again. Find something else inspiring. Thank you, everyone, for listening. I hope you really enjoyed this one. I know I had a great time recording it. Thank you to the Aftermarket and Radio Network for making this all possible. And thank you to Napa Autotech Training for the sponsoring. If you have any ideas for future episodes or you'd like to be on the podcast, please don't hesitate to reach out to me. I'm pretty easy to find on social media. You can also email me at mattfonzlopodcast at gmail.com. So until next time, take care. You've been listening to Matt Fonslow diagnosing the aftermarket A to Z on the Aftermarket Radio Network. Follow Matt on your favorite listening app. He's very interested in what you have to say. Let him know what you'd like him to cover and come on the show. Matt is all for advancing the aftermarket. Find Matt Fonslow on social media and connect or on aftermarketradionetwork.com.